0: Welcome, everyone, to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom, and this week it's an honor to welcome my friend, Dr. Cam Patton. Dr. Patton has served, well, until recently, has served as the Collier superintendent for over 12 years. And I will say, as someone who's gotten a chance to visit that district for a couple of years now, The people in that district, their current superintendent who's taken over since Cam left, uh, their executive directors, their principals, their teachers are some of the most impressive educators I've ever met. And so um, I just, I'm inspired by the work that they do, the discipline thought that they bring to the work and the passion they have for uh, education in general, but particularly the kids. And so Dr. Patton was the superintendent there for 12 years. Before that, She served many leadership roles in Miami-Dade public schools. Um, And so she just has a wealth of knowledge and experience that I think is helpful for anybody. The questions that we dive into, you know, I I like how we kind of put this on the write-up, but how how do education leaders create systems to achieve predictable success? So we talk quite a bit about systems in this conversation. What are the essential leadership principles that the best education leaders know to make a difference in learning every day? And most important, what lessons can people use to live life with passion and purpose to make a difference in the world of the students' communities that depend on these educators? And so uh, Cam has a really, I keep saying Cam, Dr. Patton, I feel very comfortable with uh, Dr. Patton, obviously, but Dr. Patton has a uh, really cool background in the sense of she comes from uh, a small rural town in the Northeast, uh, Midwest. Uh, She uh, got her start working with the Bee Gees. That's a cool thing that we dive into. And uh, she's just someone who works hard and plays hard really well, has a ton of passion for this work, uh, someone you can easily connect with and talk to, and someone just with a wealth of knowledge. So it's an honor to have her on this podcast. The conversation was a lot of fun. And it's... um, Something that I think we can all learn from. I think our goal this year, as you've kind of learned already that with the podcast, is to continue to connect with more educators. People who have had a lot of experience of successes and failures and dive into what's made them successful. So she's someone who um, will dive in there with us. It's a great conversation. So I appreciate your uh, listening today. So enjoy it. Hope you enjoy Cam, as much as I do. Dr. Patton, sorry. Um, If you subscribe, thank you for subscribing. If you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe. And most importantly, regardless of you subscribing, if you hear Dr. Patton talk about anything that can be encouraging to people in your life today, please share it with them. That's why we have this podcast. So share it with somebody who can really use her encouragement or words of wisdom. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. All right. I know... Uh, Dr. Patton that you're okay with me calling you cam but given the introduction I just gave you I don't know if I feel as comfortable doing this interview calling you cam so you're gonna have to be okay for a bit me me setting aside our friendship and calling you Dr. Patton and so Dr. Patton uh thank you for being here with us today I appreciate you making time for us
1: absolutely thank you so much it's a pleasure
0: yeah so our first question is the same for everybody who are you and what do you love about what you do
1: so who I am is a very passionate person about education. Everyone that meets me knows that, they can feel it, they can see it. I had the golden opportunity to work in Miami Dade Public Schools for 25 years, which was then the fourth largest school system. And then the pleasure of being the superintendent here in Collier County Public Schools for 12 years. I come from a family of educators, many um, aunts, uncles, both my mom and my dad, and even a stepmom. So really been around education a lot and I lived in five states before I came to Florida so that was kind of unique too and you know Dustin just recently I was on a panel and someone asked so why would people want to be a superintendent in today's world and you know it's just very politically charged and so I let him ask the question and then I said I'm going to tell you why because you get the chance to move the needle with academics absolutely but and graduation rates but the other thing you get to do is Innovate and put in programs that change kids' lives, and you know I had that golden opportunity here with forty-eight thousand kids in a very interesting set of demographics, and that started around two thousand three hundred square miles is the size of our district. So that's actually the size of Delaware. So whatever system you want to do, you better figure out it needs to be a system to move a needle across that big space, but. When I look back and think it was 65% free and reduced lunch kids, with was 55% of our kids came from homes where English wasn't even the first language. 107 languages and dialects and 3,200 migrant kids. So when you get to work and then improve kids' lives, we had some of our migrant kids that now have gone to Harvard. I mean, you're changing the trajectory and breaking cycles of generational poverty in. That's why it's great. You know, Dustin, that when you're the superintendent, you can lead programs like Leader and Me throughout a district and putting it in with our Connect for Success. So these kids have life skills and a sense of belonging. For 12 years to get to do that, it is just the greatest. And that's why, despite all the noise, we need great people to go into these leadership roles.
0: Yeah, I just got off a call. It's interesting you say. I I won't, I won't say who or where. <laughs> but uh, it's a superintendent of a large, large district, and they're they're new, and their their biggest concern right now is the leadership pipeline. One, making sure their leaders have the skill sets to be successful. But two, uh, this gentleman talked about how they have three, ex- you know, three people getting ready to retire who are key leaders, and they're trying to figure out who's going to take those positions, and. Who's going to fill the positions of the people that they find them in-house to come in and be there? Is that a problem that you noticed uh, coming to a head later in your career? Has that always been a problem in education throughout your entire career?
1: I think it's been a problem throughout the career, but not to the magnitude that it is now because people are stepping down rather than stepping up. Mm. And that's why, too, it's so important that leaders give that next generation opportunities and experiences and in today's world too does and the nice thing is there are a lot of programs out there nationally now for particular groups whether it's women's aspiring superintendents latinos urban superintendents where there are holes those programs didn't exist back 15 years ago you know so i also have to hold out hope that there's also more Um, life-saving rings that we can start giving people and introducing to them ahead of time. And you don't have to wait until they're in that second seat. Recognize that talent and push them along. Give them more opportunities for them to be successful. Not do your job, but giving them opportunities provides those avenues to create the pipelines.
0: Well, how can you give us a little bit of uh, insight to your background, like the opportunities you had? Because you know, you got a chance to be, you said, 25 years in Miami Dade. I think most of the country knows about Miami Dade, but they don't know what it's like to be in that system. They don't know the unique challenges that you had to face every day. And they certainly don't know what it's like to navigate a career path as you grow. So I'm curious, how'd you choose it? What did you learn? What challenge you fight along the way? And then how did you get your opportunities to, to grow as a leader there?
1: So um, I came into Miami-Dade from a very unique, non-traditional pathway, that's for sure. That's why rarely, Dustin, do I even talk about it, because once people hear about this, they're like, I don't really care what you did in education, you know, for 35 (laughs) years. We really care to hear about the famous Bee Gees. So what happened to, Dustin, just to walk you into how I got to Miami-Dade is, that I went to Messiah College, now it's Messiah University, as we have graduate programs, very proud of that, Um, and was an elementary education major. So obviously the natural assumption is you're going right into teaching. But this was in Pennsylvania. This was in the mid 80s with Julie McCoy and the Love Boat and all those great shows and all, all these fun careers that are out there. But in the meantime, it's the exact opposite of where we are now. There were no teaching jobs. So the average pathway was, You went to work at a mall for two years or some hourly job around town, and then you substituted on those other days. And after about your second year, you could get a permanent slot. Well, that just wasn't in my cards. I'm like, I just don't think that's what I wanna do. So uh, the great thing about Messiah College is they had a career counseling, which was pretty bold to go and do when you're a senior and you're kind of well-known on the campus and like you're going to career counseling. And I had to tell people, you don't need to tell everybody about it, but I'm glad I did because the great thing also about Messiah is wonderful people, take your heart. So someone in that small group of six found me an overseas maid agency address that also worked for families. I'm like, what? So, <laughs> what the heck? So I apply and they tell me about a job in Carmel. I'm like, yeah, that's like the other side of the country. never really been there. I said, I'll go lifeguard one more summer. If I don't get a permanent job, we'll come back. The Day I told them no, they're like, oh hey, they called back and they said, We just got a call from one of the BGs. Would you be interested in working for them? Well, now who's gonna say yeah, no? So-, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> so they didn't tell you which one, but four days later, because you know, before internet and overnight find all that stuff and fax machines. They got my paperwork, and so long story short, I went down, I interviewed, I didn't know which one, off their yacht, first walked um, Diana Ross, behind her was Michael Jackson, and behind Michael Jackson was Barry Gibbon, that's when I knew which of the three Bee Gees it was for. So it really worked out well, I loved it, I got to live in their beautiful home in Miami Beach, we spent the summers over in their England home, fantastic. They were so wonderful that even after I started my career in education, they brought me back to do a world tour. So we did 19 U.S. cities in 30 days around the country. We went to Australia for a month. We did Japan. So very unique way. And just as the side note, they've still been fabulous. When we have a hurricane, like, hey, we have the last plane. Do you need to come and fly out? Like, yeah, no, we're not going to leave 40, you know, 18,000 people in shelters. And Even at my really wonderful celebration two weeks ago, although they couldn't come, just sent the most lovely note that someone read on their back. So great people. So that's step A of how I got into it. And then um, I would tell you too, I think my pathway within Miami-Dade is more of the traditional, started right teaching, but I also always wanted to see more and do more. So I taught elementary, but in the summers, I would teach the gifted at middle schools, high schools just to see the different levels. And I thought that was important. And then I, we had a magnet program, so it became a lead teacher. And you could see how as then a lead teacher, you got to affect five classrooms. So then I thought, well, what, what do you do if you're an AP? You get to affect more. And so I did that, an assistant principal, then a principal, and then had wonderful opportunities in Miami-Dade because it's so large. They had regions and to be a region curriculum director and Various regions, and then had a great opportunity to go down to the school operations in the district office. There was about 360 schools that reported into us. So very large. And you also learn quickly, too, it's systems. You you want to move a needle with 360 schools, it has to be systems. So that just really became the way I worked, you know, as that assistant soup. And then we had a superintendent, go ahead.
0: When you say systems, right? So I, I think that's really important. And it's not just 360,000. There's a lot of folks who are listening who may be at districts that have like 3,000 or 5,000 or 12,000 kids. Uh, systems are still important. When you say systems, is there a way to clarify like what are the most important systems or just define a little bit more when you think of Absol- systems or what you mean?
1: So I would tell you my absolute pillar example is what we did with data dialogues so whether it was here in Collier with 48,000 kids the original original um uh, uh I should say innovative technique was over in Miami calling it um comstat which was a police term so we used data to see where just were the most struggling schools and brought in principals but having watched it I knew the concept but said we need to grow that so the system here became the principal and the assistant principal comes from every school, not just the struggling schools, and eventually have grown that to the leadership team. So the pandemic helped with that, right? So now we could, we're not gonna stop doing data dialogues because those were truly what And anyone says, how would you move the needle the most, that would be it. We had 17 different colleges, school systems come from around everywhere to watch how we did this. And then it got to be honestly, Dustin, that you couldn't tell who's the principal, who's the assistant principal, who's a reading coach, because they became data surgeons. And sometimes I don't think they got it. It wasn't what you said in front of me. It was all the work on the protocol. What are you doing for this level one? What's your change from the assessment drove instruction?
0: So that, that's what I was going to ask. I, I don't think I've ever shared this with you before. So uh, after helping create the Office of Innovation in St. Louis Public Schools, I got a chance to work for a, a firm that built stat processes and pro, like ah. projects out with districts all across the country. And so that was what I was in charge of in different parts of the country. And so that. this is like one of my favorite things in the world. I didn't know that we you had this there because we've not talked about this. But um, for the folks who don't understand, you know, Comstat, or in this case, you call them data dialogues, who else is in the room? So like, I, I I, got a picture, the leadership team of a school's in the room. right? Who else is in the room from the district that's there to listen to the data, ask questions, and then what are they supposed to, how, what's their involvement in that data? I know what absolutely. it is, but I want you to answer it for them.
1: Yeah, so absolutely. So most important is the second piece, who was in the room. So we actually started calling them the Hamilton room, being in the room where it happens, like, you know, the... So we put the little yellow star because that room is where it happened. It was fascinating too to have board members come in too. To, they're like, wow, you know? So who was in that was the top level of our folks, which were our um, cabinet level. So you even had the communications person in there because part of the data that we look at is how are you doing with tweets at your school? What are you doing on your website? You know, So that if we, um, the HR person, if we saw that there were five openings, she had to stop right there and prioritize that school because here we are at the middle of the year. So obviously all the curriculum and instruction folks, the school operations, when we looked at work orders or anything like that. So we had all the key players in that room. So if you had to make a change, just like the school was making a change with their limited staff, We have limited staff who got prioritized out of that. And Dustin, I should say, those conversations happen three times a year. In July and August, when we came back off the state testing results from the spring, then we gave our own benchmark test at the end of the first marking period. We gave our own district benchmark test in January. And then over the years, and especially during the pandemic, we gave a third one at the end of the third marking period because it was just still Time enough to make yet another twist, and ironically, the state of Florida has just this year put in progress monitoring three times a year. We're like, are you kidding? Yep. That was our little secret sauce, <laughs> and how we did so much better than everybody. So it's it's I think it's a compliment to you when you see the state emulate what you've been Absolutely. doing for 12 years.
0: One of the things that I've noticed to the projects I was uh, really fortunate to work on is while i believe there's so much power in data dialogues and you've seen it obviously in the comstat kind of model it's it's early on in the process is how do you build trust in in a way that has the schools so the, so the representatives principal system principal leadership team in your case showing up comfortable in a way of just understanding that we're all in this fight together it's not because it feels a little scary the first time I'm gonna go sit in front of Doctor Patton again. People listening know not to be scared of you, but like once you're Doctor Patton in a forty-eight thousand person district or a three hundred and sixty before where you're at, I walk in and sit in front of you and the team. That's nerve wracking. How do you build that down to help them understand? This is just us being trying to be in the fight with you on this.
1: So I think you slowly grow data dialogue. You don't like what if you saw our protocols now 12 years later they're just so right down to it. But we began very easy with just 10 basic question. Here's the question in a little yellow bar, just put bullets underneath. Yep. And because otherwise it would be just what you're <clears throat> describing. It's too much for people that didn't even know like I will never forget when I'd ask how many are in your at-risk categories, the answer, oh, 718. I'm thinking, no, you're a high school. Your high school struggles, but it's 265. So that told me right away my first year, they don't even know what number we're chasing. And that's not bad. They just hadn't been taught that. So, you know, starting slowly and growing that. And then honestly, let them read it. You know what? I mean, if you need to read off note cards, no problem. But nowhere after like year two or three did anybody need a note card. They could just talk right to it. How many kids still needed to pass SAT? How many of this? And it was really, really wonderful. But you're correct. Part of that system has to be you don't overwhelm them up front. So even as I've shared, I always gave anybody our original, very simple, plain old Word document. Here's the question. Just bullet out those answers.
0: Part of the, the uniqueness here is, you know, the district that I was really fortunate to spend my time in in St. Louis Public, you know, we had about 20, almost 30,000 kids at the time. And when we were creating the Office of Innovation, I just wanted to have, a. I was really interested to find out who in our community cared about us and solving the challenge with us, right? And what I found, it's going to sound crazy right now, but it's probably the way I pulled the data and worked with folks, but I tried to get the biggest number possible to make a point. And I think we've determined it was like 700 nonprofit type entities were trying to work with our schools all throughout, work with us, work. Somehow they're trying to like fix the problem we're trying to fix, but they're all doing it and they're silos. And so step one for our superintendent was trying to figure out how to get them in a room and get them talking. Do you find that to be like, when you think about the first three things you can do as a new soup, is that one of the keys of coming in and like get rallying the troops to Absolutely. focus on And
1: now, you know, even 12 years later, the term collective impact was not really known then, you know, it was not yep. a buzzword. It is now. So now as a superintendent, when you walk in and Dustin, you said the word I was going to mention. I could not believe that people would actually say right to my face, not like behind my back, In that first year well you'll see we all work in our silos like well that's not happening anymore i mean almost like to a point of pride because these are our donors and i get it it's a very big philanthropic town but your donors need data and to be able to show what they're done when we all work together there is still space for your niche of whatever that is but pulling them together so You know, Again, I'd advise anyone that's going into a situation where you don't have a collective impact, make that one of your top priorities. And another one we did not have. So by year two, I figured out at the end of year one, we have no person in the district other than me running around trying to meet all these people. So we immediately hired a community engagement person that came from the nonprofit world. So she already had a zillion connections in the community. She taught us how do nonprofits think, so that we yep. could help get them their philanthropic dollars and provide opportunities. And so that is something you know. Again, wish I'd have had that tool ahead of time, but certainly help others learn. That's an important tool to use.
0: That's great. All right. Uh, I think you have one or two more principles. Yeah. So two more quick out. ones.
1: So the third one is just be passionate. And I know it sounds like just two easy words, but one thing is true is that people love passionate people. They absolutely will see when you walk in them. Oh, I wanna go talk to them. She's gonna be up to eat. I'm gonna learn something about this. And you represent the district. Like when people see me, I don't think they ever see Camp Patton. I truly think they always see the superintendent, but I make it that way because it is a lifestyle. It's not a job. And passionate people, I think even like the Bee Gees, I'm sure they brought me back for the world tour because of the passion I had when I did that job for their kids. And the second example I would give you is that I had the opportunity to teach 10 years adjunct professor for a university. So had, you know, to pay your master's degree and your doctor, all that stuff. So it was great undergraduate, graduate doctorate, all these classes. And then they called and said, oh, would you work in another location? I'm like, no, are you kidding? I'm not driving somewhere else. Like, How about in the Bahamas? So I had the opportunity to go teach two years, learn a different culture, how education works, but have a lot of fun too and learn to trapeze and all this stuff. But when I went back and asked, how'd you pick me? They said, because so many of my evaluations from the students use the word, she's so passionate. So be passionate. People pick that out. And sometimes something goes wrong. People cut you a break because they know you're trying as hard as you can.
0: I appreciate that. That's great. All right. And the
1: fourth one. So inspire. So people expect a superintendent to be inspiring. There's no question that is part of your job is to inspire people, but make sure you are inspired internally. So what makes you inspired, you know, and keep that around you. So for me, it's my little souvenirs maybe they're $15 and under from all around I go but they're a boatload around me in my office at my home because every one of them just makes me smile I think you know what that was a great moment that was a lot of fun you know so keep those things around you and for me so it's those kind of for me souvenirs and then two big posters I always kept Lincoln and his perseverance where you just read all of his, you know, hurdles that he had to overcome. And then Thomas Jefferson's principles about, you know, in matters of style swim with the current matters of principle stand like a rock, because you do have to On you know, most days you swim as a leader, but some days you have to stand like a rock and be willing to do it.
0: Yeah, uh, I feel like, uh back to the swimming and Iraq. I feel like now superintendents are more ah. under attack than ever. And I've I've used this quote a few times to the taught superintendents. But uh I remember my mentor calling me one day and I was like, How are you know, I just checking in with him. He called me back, said, you know, today I got a chance to make the best worst decision I've made in my career. Cause every day I make a decision, I tick off half the people without even trying. And so yeah. How, how do you help encourage superintendents who are kind of in that space right now that, you know, are like, do I want to feel that way every day or do I want to quit, not quit, do I want to retire and find something new, quit's very terrible to say about it, but how would you encourage them to stay in the fight.
1: So I'd encourage them to stay in the fight to say keep thinking about why you went into this the difference that you've already made and don't let that noise disrupt you if you don't consciously go after your next innovative moment, you'll drown in the negativism. So keeping yep. your eye on something that's positive that you're working toward, keep some people around you asking, How are we doing on that project? If there's so much noise, delegate what you normally would innovate to someone else and let them keep that moving forward and give you those updates because that noise might take a little more of your time. But don't get lost in the noise. See that light at the end of the tunnel and know that you can make that difference and keep on that.
0: That's awesome. Well, Cam, I know that you recently retired uh, from the public sector, per se, from the the superintendent role, which is interesting because I think the average superintendent is like a two to three year uh, term and you were there 12 years and then 25 in a massive district before where people probably leave in droves. And so... What's what's next for you? What are what are the big opportunities that you're really proud and excited about uh, jumping into right now?
1: So, um, big opportunities, as I'm calling them now, Chapter Two, right? The second yeah. chapter, I didn't turn that page in the book. So, it's um Patent Solutions, an education consultant company, and so um, obviously working to help solve people's problems and just um present some passion and ideas that are out there, but also um doing a lot of speaking on different national topics and also going to be writing a book, co-authoring a book around workforce development because boy, look at every chamber, everybody's with that, oh, we need employees, we need them skills-based, You know that idea of certifications and industry certs. And to be honest, Justin, we hired for the first time ever a year ago, a programmer right out of our technical college, not a four-year degree person. He started at 55,000 in one year. I mean, we have to look at education a little differently, watching what's going to happen with AI and artificial intelligence and how that's going to be. So it's exciting to help in particular, also superintendents try and navigate some of these, you know, very unusual times, you know, that they're in. So to be able to offer a plethora of services for folks is really, it's a great way to give back, right? Paying it, give back or pay it forward, however you want to look at it. and. That's an important
0: part of who I am. Well, I think, um, I I hope as people listen to this, they understand that if nothing else, you are passionate and you are direct. And so you'll give your real opinions. And so when I think about a person or entity I want to partner with, like you said, I want to partner with passionate people who are direct and honest and give feedback. Maybe not always what I want to hear, but just here's, here's the facts. And I'm in the fight with you. So that's being like, I'm not leaving, but uh, I'm just excited to see where chapter two takes you. There's a book that uh, uh, Dr. Covey's oldest daughter just co-authored with him, you know, postmortem for him about live life and crescendo. And I feel like you call it chapter two. And Mm -hmm. I just see, it just means your best work is always ahead of you. And so I'm just really excited to see what that is for you. And before we do, I've got four quick questions. Can you humor me for a second?
1: <laughs> I'll sure try.
0: I know you and I, generally speaking, will stay out later than we need to. So uh, I'll do my <laughs> I'll best get more to wrap conversations it
1: Conversations in that way, you
0: know? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, first question is what habit or discipline do you use on a daily or weekly basis to help you be the best version of Dr. Patton?
1: So for me, it's actually... Uh, Covey habit. For me, it's putting first things first. It's that idea of that forward momentum and keeping your eye, like we just talked about, on innovation. And when things become urgent, delegate them. And the reality is you're growing leaders, letting them handle things. You check on them, but don't take your eye off innovation. So to me, it's that forward momentum, not behind, like you said, too.
0: These these are supposed to be quick, but you and I are I two peas in a pod when it comes to rabbits. No, 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 no. The quick part is you did great. I'm about to ruin it. The ruining part is how do you help people figure out how to delegate? Because I find a lot of great leaders, even myself, and I'm not in that great leader category, but I find myself struggle to delegate sometimes because I feel like I don't want to burden them. I think they're working hard enough. How, how do you help with people's mindsets that struggle with delegation?
1: So I, what I had to do for myself, because I'm the same way, you know, I can do it the best. Well, other people can too. So that compromise to me is let them do it, but you check it. Have them come back in for a couple of checkpoints, you know, because I never let it out the door. And the reality is they got better and better at doing, whether it's a communication out to the newspaper that's on a big issue right now, go back and let's so coaching them up, but giving them the yep. chance because they actually do get better. So you can find it by not just releasing everything. You still have that final saying, look, cause it's your name attached to it. But that's the easiest way to loosen that ability to have right. some others help.
0: My third question is based on my man here, Luke. Uh, he, we are all obsessed with baseball. I know this episode won't, Come out until uh, a while from now, but this is opening day of baseball here, and uh, the St. Louis Cardinals are everything. And his favorite question to ask anybody about music right now is, "What would your walk-up song be?" Now, again, for those of you who don't know baseball that well, walk-up songs are what plays when a player walks up to go hit, and so that player gets to choose it. That can adjust at any given time, uh, Cam. So. It could just be right now or it could be the all-time song that is just your motivation go-to when you need it.
1: So I really love One Republic's Connection song because I think that really defines who I am. I'm a very big connector and my life has been enriched because I know so many people.
0: Wow. I, I, I'm a... Sorry,
1: sorry. It's, it's, also my, with, it's my current ringtone also. So that's why it's easy.
0: I'm obsessed with music. I, I, so far... Nobody has been able to stump me yet on a song. I know one Republic, but that song doesn't come to me right away, so I You'll thank know you it for that. as soon as you hear it. That's going to be with our kids this afternoon. That's great. All right, last question. Uh, you're a gra- you're around a lot of really thoughtful leaders who are changing the world or changing their school communities. What's the best piece of leadership advice you've either heard from someone recently or you've read or seen uh, that just is on the tip of your tongue or on the top of your mind right now?
1: So I think that question, whether it was 10 years from now or now, would always still be the same answer, and that's to mimic um lincoln president lincoln in that book the team of rivals where you really yes. want to survive you know, surround yourself with very diverse perspectives you don't need yes people around you you need yeah a couple to help you out on things but really it's those diverse perspectives is what you need around you so mimic the team of rivals
0: that's awesome i, I appreciate that a lot and that's a great book i know it's not short but it's worth the the read absolutely um, Dr. Patton, this was a great conversation. Uh, hopefully you Thank enjoyed you. it as much as I did. Because I, sure I did. definitely enjoyed it.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Anytime you look up and see, oh no, it's almost time. I gotta hurry up. And stop. Uh, this was just <laughs> this is very blessing. And I, I wish you the best with chapter Thank two. You. And I'm excited to see where that goes for you.
1: Thank you, Dustin. I appreciate it. Great to see you again.
0: Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel. Uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.